As we go to Scripture this morning, these are the only two Scriptures that mention Mary Magdalene. Um, And you'll hear, what I'm looking for is, what do these Scriptures say about this woman? What is it that defines her? And notice the juxtaposition between these two as Robin reads. So the first reading is Luke 8, uh, verses 1 through 3-ish. Soon afterwards, he went on through cities and villages, proclaiming and bringing the good news unto the kingdom of God. The twelve were with him, as well as some women who had been cured of evil spirits and infirmities. Mary called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had gone out, and Joanna, the wife of Herod's steward, Chusa, and Susanna, and many others who provided for them out of their resources. The second reading, one of my favorites, from John 20, verses 1 through 18. Early on the first day of the week, when it was still dark, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and I do not know where they have laid him. Then Peter and the other disciple set out and went toward the tomb. The two were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He bent down to look in and saw the linen wrappings lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came, following him, and went into the tomb. He saw the linen wrappings lying there and the cloth that had been on Jesus' head not lying with the inner wrappings but rolled up in a place by itself. Then the other disciple who reached the tomb first also went in and he saw and believed for as yet they did not understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples returned to their homes. But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb. As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb, and she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had been lying, one at the head and the other at the feet. They said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, They have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. When she had said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you looking for? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him in Hebrew, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said to her, Do not hold on to me, because I have not yet ascended to the Father. But go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my father and your father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord. And she told them that he had said those things to her. Holy wisdom, holy words. Thanks be to God. Robin, every time you read, and I think I say this every time you read, is, is I... I feel like I'm sitting in the library at your feet as one of the children that you read to at the library because it's just so beautiful, story-like, well done, and so thank you for that. 
So over the last couple of months, you know, particularly when I decided that it was this year we're going to focus really fully on Jesus uh, for the year and doing it as a sermon series and doing it in both of my classes that, that you know, in the classes are Jesus, a series in four parts. New name. Got it. Okay. Because when I said Jesus in four parts, both my wife and my daughter, never mind. <laughs> So, I just thought it's, it's important that we do this. It's important that we kind of take a step back and really look at all of this again. Jesus in history, Jesus as Savior, whatever that may mean. The Jesus of today, and even some of the one Sunday I'm going to have like seven different stations right up here and go from station to station to talk about this belief of Jesus. I'm looking forward to one sermon I mean, coming up among the sermons that Laura's going to preach, and she's going to talk about what it means to be a Jewish mother with an oldest son. And I'm hoping kind of takes on that persona, which she does exceptionally well. <laughs> exceptionally well. <clears throat> but what I realized is I was kind of been looking through all of these resources and really have pulled out a ton from a variety of kind of understanding standings of the theology of Jesus and the Christology and all the beliefs about that. That there comes a point of kind of self-examination and what do I really believe? Now, I have to give you a heads up, and I've shared this with some of you. I was only going to do this with the class, both the morning and the evening classes. I decided that I'm going to make it available to everyone. It's a four-page quiz. Four pages, single-spaced. Single It really, and and the whole purpose of it is to say, this is, today, this is what I believe. And not all of us can fill something like that out and feel comfortable in it. Or this is what I may not believe. And so as I was creating that kind of four-page exam, um, and it's really a self-examination, what I realized is that the Jesus that I began to understand, even today, began long, long ago for me in all of those Sunday school pictures from the 50s. You know, the Jesus with the halo and the Jesus holding the lamb and the, the kind of meek and mild Jesus. And, and it was this figure that was kind of out there for me. And, and then came a day of conversion for me, and, and I'll tell that story another time. But, but even that made Jesus somewhat distant. And I think that can be said for many of us, that Jesus is kind of this distant, mysterious, and and for some, even mythological figure. But there are those things that happen in our lives that kind of transform that, and there's a reality to it. And I'm going to talk about a book at the end of the sermon that I'll I'll show you. But but that, that there was a discovery, and I put this picture on the front of the bulletin and up here this morning, because this is Da Vinci's Mary and uh, Mary Magdalene. Da Vinci had this almost obsession with Mary Magdalene. And what I'd love to have you do is just look at the expression on her face and how much of a genius Da Vinci was when he did a drawing like this. Or even, we're going to look at the, The Last Supper, that Da Vinci painting of the Last Supper in a little bit. And who is it that's sitting on the right hand of Jesus? 
And, and yet, there is something very mystical about this Mary figure. But like I said, there are moments in time where it becomes more real. And over the last, I don't know when the discovery happened. It was like a month to six weeks ago. Or maybe it's been longer than that. It's probably longer than that. Where they went into the town of Magdala, which exists today, and um, getting ready to build the Magdala Center. And as they were excavating, what they found was a hole. As, as you know, they were unearthing and getting ready to, to pour the foundation of a hotel at the Magdala Center, there appeared a hole. And so they went in and dug a little more and found that it was an entrance with steps. And that's when the archaeologists came in. And as the archaeologists came in and they began to unearth what that was, is what they found, and there's the entrance, what they found was one of the most purely preserved worship, Jewish worship centers ever discovered. But as they do, they can date these things. It's more than carbon dating. It has to do with some of the symbols and some of the other things. And they were able to date this worship center right in the time of Christ and the time right after Jesus walked among us. And I began to think in some of the articles that then you read and think, Jesus probably preached there. And suddenly when you see something you know, with physical evidence of this, and knowing that there was a relationship with this Mary from Magdala, things begin to get much, much more real. And, and began to imagine Jesus preaching there and looking. This is the altar table. And you see the menorah on there. Uh, on another picture of the, the altar table, on the top of it, on the top of this, is a heart. And it's just, it was just, it took my breath away. Knowing that this is 2,000 years old. And yet there is this heart there. And how defining that is, that whole archaeological understanding, and the whole purpose of the Magdala Center that was to be built on that site, now they've moved it. But listen to the four elements that are the goals of this Magdala Center. These are incredible. And friends, I've got to tell you, they're church. They're what we also are and, and continue to become. The purpose of the Magdala Center is to provide a place, a hotel, a sanctuary of solace for pilgrims who are visiting the Holy Land. That's number one. Number two, to provide availability to the artifacts that would speak to all of these pilgrims and hearers as they seek to help them deepen their understanding of the history and therefore deepening their own faith. Number three, to provide multimedia opportunities for people to experience the life of Jesus, the life of those in worship, the life of those living in that town, the life of the apostles, and particularly even the life of Mary Magdalene. And finally, with the inspiration provided by Mary Magdalene to provide a place that honored the vocation, the gifts, and the dignity of women. Now, in a church, we also need to honor the dignity of men. But those four elements are so key. 
as we think about what we are as a church. But let, let me move to the next piece of this. One of the archaeologists who was interviewed began to call this archaeological dig a reclamation project. And a reclamation project is exactly what it sounds like. And you all know this. It's to reclaim what that was and to try and make it as pristine as possible, as vibrant as possible, as real as possible. And I kept thinking, man, you think about Mary and you think about her as a reclamation project. And, and, and God is the perfect being whose whole experience has been, if you look at scripture and history, about reclamation projects. Israel has been throughout history a reclamation project. Lives have been transformed as reclamation projects. Jesus came in order for us to understand God's intentions. And Mary is the perfect example of exactly what that is to be. So Mary becoming a reclamation project. And so guess what that means for us? It means that no matter the hat we wear, howdy, no matter what we bring, no matter how confident we may be in our faith, without exception, we are all reclamation projects because if you look at the scripture again, what was Mary healed of? Seven demons. Now, I have to tell you that the demons that may have been in Mary probably had nothing to do with the movie The Exorcist. There was no head spinning nor green vomit. Probably. Although they looked at demons and if, they, if there were those that were epileptic or those they, they believed that they were filled. Now, again, I've talked to many of you. I believe that there's evil in the world and it can really do some powerful things to folks. But in this case of Mary, and this is where the whole prostitution idea came, is that, well, that had to be one of the demons. Well, there's no evidence of that. What if the demons were more like what we deal with every day? What if in the background of Mary there were some abuses that transformed her life in a very negative way and, and there was some healing in need in her soul because of those? Or what, what if there were things in Mary that, that Paul identifies later, things like lust or greed or insecurities or a lack of trust or the list goes on and on. I have a full list in my notes. And aren't many of us possessed by, as Mary probably was, possessed by those kinds of demons? We are. And so... <laughs> I got to tell you, admit to you, as I'm journaling, um, I started listing some of the ones I'm dealing with. And let me clue you, there were a lot more than seven. A lot more than seven. But what is it about a relationship with Christ and a relationship that is reflected in each other of Christ where what we can do is either have those demons named for us so that we can be transformed beyond them, or to allow Christ or the power of God 
to name them for us and be turned as Mary was and transformed. And, and what is it that we're transformed toward when we allow that to happen? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. Those are, those are the gifts of that transformation. So I have to ask you, now you know I have more than seven, what are the demons that possess you? What are those things that possess you? And are you willing to allow people you trust to help you with those? Or willing to have God help you with those? Just one other quick thing is, is uh, over the last year, and it just happened again last week, I've, I've, I've had the privilege of doing a number of um, 360 evaluations. I don't know if you know what those are. 360 evaluations are very important both corporately and individually. And the last one I did was an individual in the church. And 360 evaluations allow others to help you understand where are your strengths and where are your growing edges. And the questions are fairly simple, but the answers are designed to be profound. And what that means is you have to be courageous enough to allow others to let you know what they see in you. There's a corporate example of that. There are a number of churches that have now gone through 360 evaluations. There are organizations across the globe that have gone through 360 evaluations. But where I'm going with this today is that is exactly what Jesus did for Mary. How did he know that she had seven demons? Unless there was a relationship there where they could walk through and talk through those in order to transform her out of them. And what happened to her after that? Well, Da Vinci would have us believe that there was a relationship that was deeper than any relationship with any of the other disciples. And if you look at the Last Supper, the picture of the Last Supper, and if you've, of course, seen Dan Brown's book or read Dan Brown's book and seen the movie The Da Vinci Code, you know that when he points at this figure on the right hand of Jesus, he believes that that is Mary Magdalene. And if you tr transpose that to the other side of Jesus where that gap is, that there's a perfect match of her head on his shoulder. And it is, it's incredible. This is what da Vinci does to make you think about all of that. Well, again, there's no evidence to that, but, but it's worthwhile to think that's what Christ offers us if we open up that opportunity to be in that kind of intimate relationship where we too can be transformed and allow Christ and those filled with Christ to be for us a 360 evaluation. Friends, I'm going to say it here that as we prepare to gather at this table, that this is that place that helps us understand that kind of evaluation, that kind of relationship because the words that we hear, the words of institution, on the night that he was betrayed, on the night that he was betrayed, on the night that Peter denied knowing him, on, on three days or four days before, Thomas questioned all of it. 
But there they were gathered around because they were a community, a body of Christ. And it is what we are as well. And it's why we move to this next aspect of worship. And as we go, I think it's prayer time, right? As we go to prayer time this morning, I want to, again, I I intentionally keep choosing this. Um, We're going to go to communion first. Um, No, you know what? I don't want to. I want to wait for this. Uh, Let's go to prayer time and, uh, and come back. I'd like to close worship today with communion because of where we're headed and what next week represents for us.